It's a song called Bandolera Era, but I'm not sure where it's from. I don't know where the people are from, unfortunately. Before that, we heard Wyclef Jean and Deuce off of his album Welcome to Haiti Creole 101. So that music was from Haiti. We heard Egyptian with Mama off of Reggae Gold 2006 compilation, and he is from Jamaica. Daddy Yangi did Dali Caliente off of Barrio Fino. He's Puerto Rican. And we started off with another Jamaican, Sean Paul, and his song, Punky, off of Duddy Rock. And so it's right about time for the Living Writers Show. I do hope that you enjoyed Freeform this afternoon. I'll be here again next Wednesday from 2 to 4.30. Um, And also be on the lookout for the new WCBN program guides. They're absolutely adorable. They're like little coloring books. And um, it'll make your day happy to find one of these. So after this message, you will be hearing The Living Writers Show. Stay tuned to WCBN FM Ann Arbor. That's 88.3. No. What is it? WCBN. Oh, WCBN! 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 That was me, Sin, and Jill for WCBN. Oh, yeah, wait, say WCBN and fam. WCBN and Arbor. WCBN, WCBN and Arbor. And we gotta go to sound check. <laughs> All right. Perfect. Okay. Merry Christmas, everyone, and Happy New Year. Thanks so much for stopping by. Oh, we loved it. And remember, this holiday season, if you're gonna drink, get a designated driver. It's slippery out there. Listening to the Living Writers Show on WCBN FM Ann Arbor. My name is Rachel Harkai, and our guest today is Ann Arbor native and U of M alumnus Davy Rothbart. Uh, he's a creator of Found Magazine, a collection of discarded notes, letters, flyers, photos, lists, and drawings found and sent in by readers. He's also a frequent c- contributor to the radio program This American Life. He has been a two-time guest of David Letterman's The Late Show, and his collection of short stories titled The Lone Surfer of Montana, Kansas, was recently released by Simon & Schuster. Thanks for joining us today. Thanks, Rachel. It's good to have you back in Ann Arbor. Um, It sounds like you've been traveling all over the country. Definitely. Yeah. Have you been touring mostly with Found Magazine? Yeah. um, My brother, Peter, and I, we, we do these Found Magazine tours where, you know, 
just basically trying to spread word about found and also collect new found stuff. So I'll just get up there with a stack of my favorite found notes. And, uh, you know, this is letters, pictures, notes, just the stuff that people are finding on the ground, finding wherever people find the stuff. Send it in to us from all around the country, really all around the world. And we slap it together into found magazine and these found books. So on these tours, you know, I just read some of my favorites of the found notes. But I, I get a little bit rowdy. Just, you know, the notes themselves are so crazy. And my little brother, Peter, he, he writes songs based on some of the found notes and plays those. So I've been hitting the road pretty hard, but it's kind of nice every time we get back to Ann Arbor for a little while. Yeah, that's great. Um, you have kind of a celebrity status around here, it seems like. Um, I was talking to a lot of people about interviewing you, and uh, it's strange. There's a very personal idea of celebrity, I think, surrounding you. Um, everyone seems to view you as sort of a celebrity, but you're also on a first-name basis around here. Well, I think... That's funny to hear you say that. I, I just think celebrities are to you who, you know, who your favorite, like, writers, musicians, artists, or, you know, politicians or whoever, you know. I know for me, like, last night, uh, my friend Will was in town to play a show. His band's called Uckerville River. I'm, like, their hugest fan. It's kind of weird because I'm also a friend of his, <laughs> but I'm also, like, the number one fan. And so, yeah. uh, to me, he's a celebrity, you know. Yeah. That's great. My brother, Peter, like, I love his music so much that, like, you know, sometimes I, I see him, like, come off the stage after a show and I'm, like, nervous to talk to him. <laughs> it's my brother, man. Yeah, that's great. Well, I want to talk about um, Found Magazine a little more uh, later in the show, but I was hoping that you would read a little bit um, from your recent collection of short stories, uh, The Lone Surfer of Montana, Kansas. Um, sure. Yeah, and, and, you know, the way this book kind of came to be is, uh, I think... You know, just like the, the found notes to kind of give you a little glimpse into someone else's life. And we'll talk about that later. You know, but the when, when you meet somebody, you know, as you're traveling, you always are just like crossing paths with someone for an instant. Maybe it's like the guy that's pumping gas at the next gas tank or, you know, at some three in the morning, you're at, I don't know, some convenience store and there's some guys teaching his like 12 year old son how to work the register. You, know, you just kind of get those little fleeting glimpses and... and I had that same experience of like wondering what that person's life is like. And uh, when I wrote this, well, what happened was one, one day a few years ago, I was driving through like rural Kansas, middle of nowhere, driving through the cornfields. And I saw out in the middle of the cornfield, I saw like the weirdest thing. I saw this kid and he had perched like a surfboard between two old tractors and he was just standing on top of it, like surfing, you know? And yeah. I mean, the sun was going down behind him. It was mesmerizing. And I didn't even realize what he was doing at first. And I don't think he even saw me. I watched him for like 20 minutes and then I drove away. And later I just, you know, I was sitting down to write and I just kept thinking about that image, you know, th thinking of that, that kid. And I was wondering, you know, what, what's his story? Here he is like thousands of miles from any ocean surfing in the middle of the cornfield. So I wrote the story kind of imagining what his life was like and might, what might have happened, you know, if our paths had intersected. And so, you know, I called the story The Lone Surfer of Montana, Kansas. Montana is the town in Kansas, where, you know, where I saw him. And uh, and that that was the title story of the book. Mm -hmm. oh, hold on, I gotta I gotta cough. <laughs> <laughs> Man, I was at the eight ball last night for like three hours. And, yeah, uh, that'll uh, I can't talk today. Yeah, that's enough to do your. Yeah, I've day. I've never smoked a cigarette in my life, but uh, I, I probably secondhand at the eight ball smoked like <laughs> yeah. a couple packs at night. For sure, for sure. Well, um, I was hoping you would read a little bit from your story titled "A Black Dog." Um, it's sort of a memoir of an experience of a young man in Chicago. Oh, yeah. Okay, mm -hmm. cool. So this is this is a story. Yeah, it takes place in Chicago, and it starts out with this guy talking about this girl, Nicole, 
and how inseparable inseparable they become. You know how they're just like he's totally about her, and they they hang out all the time. And he says that uh, you know, as delightful a stretch as it was, there were moments each day tinged with sadness, since we knew time was short. I was moving to L.A. to scalp tickets at Lakers games, and Nicole's fiance was set to return from his trip to Peru. I'd actually met Nicole while I was hustling. Michael Jordan's retirement had been crushing for me and the rest of Chicago scalpers. Without the Bulls' gravy train, we'd been battling to stay afloat, working a nonstop string of concerts, theater, ballet, and pro wrestling events, even like Barney on Ice. I'd finally given in and decided to head for greener pastures, though it felt odd to move cross-country for what was essentially a day job. Scalping tickets was just paying the bills while I dedicated myself to what I considered my true calling, composing and choreographing an epic four-hour rap opera. The past three years, I've been dedicated fanatically to the task, but all my grand visions for it had crashed painfully down. Callie, I'd figured, would give me a fresh start all around. Hours after I cleared out of my rented room at my very last scalping gig in the city, an Amy Mann show at the House of Blues, Nicole appeared, a beautiful, exuberant girl pinballing up Dearborn Street, calling over and over, Does anyone have an extra? Anyone have one extra? We went to the concert together and out for drinks afterward, then went back to her place and stayed up all night, perched on stools in the kitchen, dazzling each other with wild stories. At dawn, we made a plan. Since someone was already moving into my room in my old place, but we wanted to have more time together, I'd stay with her and her two roommates for a couple of weeks, then jet when her fiancé got back to town, which would still get me out to L.A. in time for the NBA All-Star game. Nicole, Nicole helped me carry in a few of my bags, which were already packed in my truck for the drive to L.A. My clothes went into her room. The rest of it was jammed into a coat closet by the front door. She even cleared a shelf inside the bathroom mirror for my toiletries. It was like we were the ones getting married. Thank you. That was uh, author Davy Rothbart reading from his book of short stories, The Lone Surfer of Montana, Kansas. Now, in reading about your life, I can't help but notice that um, there are a lot of really unique details that you take and seem to insert in a lot of your fictional stories. Um, you were actually a scalper for a few years in Chicago. Is that true? Yeah, it's true. And uh, I think... No, I, th- I think when you're writing, I mean, all these stories in, in this book, I think, have, yeah, I mean, they're all, uh, you know, this author I love, uh, There's this, one of my favorite books is this book called The 21 Balloons, and it's kind of like a kid's book, I guess, but it's an amazing book about a guy who tries to, like, sail around the world in a hot air balloon for a year, and the second day he crash lands on this desert island. But um, the, what it says at the very beginning of the book, it says, half, half of what happens, it says, half of this book is true. The other half might very well have happened, hmm. which I think is kind of a nice way. You know, that's sort of true, I think, of all fiction, really. It's like these stories, half of them are true exactly, and the other half, you know, it, it just as easily could have gone that way. So it, some of the stories in here, like the actual events are mostly invented, but probably the emotions are all things I've experienced, and the the longing or the desperation or the urgency or wh- whatever feeling being in love or whatever the feeling you know the feelings are in there that's me t- talking probably but maybe making up the story uh, a black dog is actually the one that's b- exactly true really yeah pretty much every really? word of that happened um huh. happened exactly as I, as I wrote it which kind of it's hard to say with it does that make it easier what do you think does that make it easier to write a story when it's like all, when it's all exactly true so, sometimes it's easier to be able to make yeah, I think up. it goes both ways. I think sometimes it's awfully hard to put things about yourself on the page. Yeah. It really is. Um, I read in another interview, um, 
that you had conducted with, uh, I think it was an internet magazine, um, they asked you to summarize what the Lone Surfer of Montana, Kansas was about in a haiku. <laughs> and the first line of the haiku was mostly about girls. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. I think that's probably true. Yeah, it's, the book is mostly about girls, and I think it's about and driving around the country mm-hmm. and prison, you know, just stuff that we all have to deal with at some time in our life, or, or I mean, you know, that me and Chaz have to deal with. Uh, Chad yeah. is our engineer on the show. Uh, um, but uh, yeah, yeah, and I, I don't know. I think, uh, I think, I don't know. Writing about love is like, I don't know, probably therapeutic in some way. Mm-hmm, definitely. Um, you taught for a few years in correctional facilities, didn't you, around the country? Yeah. Um, was that something that you found to be therapeutic for it, yourself? It was. It was awesome. I mean, it was probably you know a really important experience for me. Like. Um, and I started doing it through um, when I was a U of M student here. Mm-hmm. There's uh, Buzz Alexander, I forget what's called, Project Serve, Project Community, I think, mm-hmm. where they, you know, you can go and teach creative writing in prisons. We went to a place called Cotton Correctional Facility in Jackson. And, you know, just to work with some of these guys who, I mean, some of them were just brilliant writers. One guy thought that creative writing meant like calligraphy, hmm. like creative handwriting, but but some of them were also were great writers, and I learned a lot from them. And I think I also, excuse me, learned just about um, from some of the guys. I learned like about like dedication to writing. You know, mm-hmm. all right. Granted, they're in prison; like they don't have a lot of other stuff to do. But still, like you know, I like aspire to be a writer. I want to be a writer someday. I, I guess I write sometimes, but but I, just, I met guys who were just so dedicated to writing. They they wrote every day, and I realized like. And they were getting a lot better, you know, just by doing that. So, uh, I don't know. You know, it also, you learn a lot about how messed up the prison system is and yeah. who ends up in jail and why. Mm-hmm. But I think, I, I would encourage anyone listening who has the opportunity to, like, go and, to, I actually think it should be mandatory for people, like college mm-hmm. students or high school students, to go and work with people. But, you know, like, Maxi Boys uh, Training Camp, and mm-hmm. there's a lot of places in the area that always need tutors and creative writing instructors, and you know, you you can really inspire these guys too. You know, by coming in and sharing your stories with them. So it's pretty awesome. Yeah, that if, you, if like anyone a, has a chance to do it. Sounds like a great experience. Yeah. Well, we're gonna take a short break. Um, we're gonna play uh, some music written by Davy Rothbard's brother. Um, we'll be right back. You're listening to the Living Writer Show on WCBN FM Ann Arbor. Say 
Listening to the Living Writers Show on WCBN FM Ann Arbor. My name is Rachel Harkai, and I'm here with Davy Rothbart, author of a collection of short, short stories titled "The Lone Surfer of Montana, Kansas," and the creator of Found Magazine. Uh, so that was some music by your brother. Yeah, Peter. I love that song. It's called "Able Glass Note." And uh, what Peter did is he took a, a found note someone had found in California and sent in, and he he you know wrote a f- took the note as inspiration, and then. It was a note about a guy who is kind of having a troubled relationship with some girl. And it's both, he calls it, my brother Peter, he calls it both a love note and a hate note. Mm-hmm. And so he, he put it to music and it turned into a really beautiful song. Mm-hmm. So he put, Peter plays under the name Poem Adept. Huh. And so 
he plays around town and he's fantastic. He lives here in town. He lives, yeah, he lives here in town. Okay, I'll have yeah. to um, make sure to remind everyone to keep their eyes out for him. Yeah, exactly. When he's yeah, and also you can go to his website, which is poemadept.com. Okay, great, great. Um, it's funny we we were talking about found stuff while we were listening to Peter's song, and I noticed on this here in WCBN in the studio here, there's like this. I don't, what do you call it, a tablecloth? Just this canvas, like, yeah. table cover. Yeah. And it's just covered in, I guess, graffiti, people with Sharpies writing on it. And <laughs> there's some pretty funny stuff, but I like this one the most. It says, Julie, Andrea, Ellie, and Simone quit Zola, 9-15-06. <laughs> they're, 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 four people quit at once. <laughs> and and they, they were proud of it. Proud of it. Wanted, wanted to commemorate it. Everybody. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I guess another... Another part of uh, Found Magazine I sort of wanted to talk about was related to another story um, in your book. Um, it seems like talking with you that Found Magazine has pretty much, you know, permeated a lot of areas of your life. Your brother's writing songs about it. You're touring the country, traveling, talking about it. Yeah. Um, do you feel like sometimes it's all you're talking about? Or Well, I talk about the NBA mostly <laughs> um, but uh, when, during Piston season, but... But uh, but yeah, found it's become a big part of my life. But it's really, I feel really excited and lucky about it, you know, because that was just an idea that I just thought it'd be really fun. Like I love finding stuff, and I thought wouldn't it be cool if everyone, you know, could share what they were finding with everybody else. Mm-hmm. And so for it to grow, and you know, it was really fantastic. And you know, I got like friends in town, my man Brandy Wicks and uh, Sarah Locke, and and a bunch of other friends that have helped out. You know, putting putting the magazines together and you know shipping them out all over the world, really, and mm-hmm. and just just fun for us to open the mail and check out all this found stuff that comes in. Um, and if anyone listening has found something and they want to share it with us, they can go to the Found Magazine website. It's foundmagazine.com, and it's got my it's actually my folks' address in uh, in Ann Arbor <laughs> on Charing Cross Road. They can they can mail us found stuff over there. We would love to see it. That's great. But but yeah, so I mean. It's it's really grown in, in a way that's been surprising to me and exciting, mm-hmm. and so yeah, even in like my stories, I think it comes into play a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, you've so, got that great story, story um, Maggie Fever, um, about that young boy who finds or steals actually a backpack from the airport. Yeah, um, I, I I think, what w- and yeah, that's right. In, in this story, this this kid, uh, his he's living with his grandfather in Albuquerque. And his grandfather kind of forces him to steal all these lug- all this luggage um, from from the airport, like carousel, like the uh, baggage claim. And so, you know, he, he steals four big suitcases, and they, you know, get cameras and stuff to sell. But he also finds one little backpack. And his grandpa's in such a good mood because they stole so much other good stuff that he he lets the kid, who he's like a 15 year old kid, he lets him keep the backpack. So at this point in Maggie Fever. Um, he, uh, he, he's going up to, he's sitting in the McDonald's lot where his grandfather works, the parking lot to open the backpack. <coughs> Excuse me. So he says, at the McDonald's lot, I sat on the weedy cement in the back and listened to the Walkman and watched cars whirl through the drive through The contents of the backpack called to me. I dumped the stuff out, shuffled through the cassette tapes for a minute, then started flipping through the composition notebooks. They were covered with punk rock stickers and turned out to be a pair of little journals that belonged, according to the return address label stuck inside the covers, to a girl named Maggie Smith. With blue and black ballpoint pens, she'd filled page after page in wild cursive scrawl. The very first sentence I read pulled me right in. Well, that stupid coffee died today. It went on from there. 
I was in the room with him, and he died right there in front of me. He was alive, and then he was dead. Not like he was moving much anyway. But when he died, he was just gone, and I was in the room with a fucking dead body. My dad's dead body. I sat there for about 20 minutes. Then I called for the nurse. I did what I always did when I picked up a book. I skipped to the last page. The entry was from early that morning. She was talking about getting packed up, heading back to Albuquerque from wherever she'd been. If there's one thing that's bound to improve my mood and my outlook on life, she'd written, it's being stuck on fucking airplanes for 10 hours. Well, at least I'll be home and can get messed up, and I can finally sleep in my own bed again, or Noah's, if he still remembers I exist. Before I flip back to begin at page one, I fished another tape from the little pile in the backpack and popped it in. This one was labeled with the marker, Shitty Opera. But it wasn't shitty at all. It was beautiful. A man sang. I cranked up the volume and drowned out the sounds of rattling exhausts in the drive through speaker. Maggie's journals covered only a span of a few weeks. She'd written with incessant detail, ten, fifteen, sometimes twenty pages a day, two full notebooks. Reading them was like being dunked right inside her head. She'd gone to Maine for a month because her dad had cancer and she wanted to be with him during his final days, even though she hardly knew him in the first place. But what had become, what, but what had seemed like a shot at becoming friends, getting to know each other a little bit, had become a disaster. The whole time she was there, up until he died, her dad had been unrelentingly nasty. Not grumpy and sour like my grandpa, but outright vicious and cruel. You know, you're even uglier than your mother was. That's the type of dish he'd actually say to her, which Maggie, a few minutes later, would record into her journal. It sounded like about the most excruciating, punishing stretch of time I could ever imagine. I could understand how keeping her journal always close at hand had brought some relief. Thank you. That's author Davy Rothbart reading from his recently published collection of short stories. Um, it's a pretty heartbreaking spot there in the journal. Um, I think that's a pretty interesting commentary about found. You know, there's all this funny, funny stuff you find, people making fun of other people, and, you know, you can laugh along with them. But it's also a pretty heartbreaking um a heartbreaking thing to find someone, um, someone else's belongings. Totally. I mean, I have that experience all the time of opening, you know, one of these found letters or journals that someone's mailed into us and reading it and just, you know, a few things, you know, like, yeah, just being totally moved and affected, you know, these heart, sometimes you're, you're just, you're getting such a deep and powerful insight into where somebody's, you know, heart and soul and like, you know, you're catching them in a very private moment, you know, and, and, and also I think people, especially if they're writing in a journal, they tend to do it when they're feeling sad and upset. You know, mm-hmm. you don't have that many journals where people are like, oh, today was the greatest day of my life. <laughs> yeah. Hey, today was even cooler. You know, mostly they're like, today was the worst day of my life. Today was even worse, you know, like, and so it can be, it can be kind of punishing to, to read through all this found stuff one after another after another. And sometimes I'll find myself starting to cry, you know reading a note and and maybe it's not because that note was so acutely sad itself yeah. but maybe just the kind of accumulated weight of like all these different notes all these all these people wanting things so badly that they're not going to get you know all this despair and it'll kind of crack me open you know and uh but 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 I think and I th- I think I've also had the experience that this kid has in in, in the story Maggie Fever of of re- of reading someone's journal and thinking like Oh my God! Like this is the perfect girl for me. You know? Like falling in love with with somebody just through, you know, becoming so absorbed and consumed with who this person is mm-hmm. that you really feel like you're falling in love with them. And, and of course, it's a fantasy, you know, because you don't really know the first thing about what they would be like if you really met them in person. Yeah. Which in in this story, Maggie Fever, he he tracks down the girl who's written this journal, and he meets her in person. To and he's 
surprised at who she turns out to be. Mm-hmm. It sort of ends up that things aren't what he expected them to be. Yeah. And, you know, maybe that maybe that is the case with some of those really sad found entries, at least. At least maybe it's not always as bad as it seems. Yeah. Or... I mean, I, I'm sure if somebody read some of the stuff I've written in moments of of real sadness, you know, like, yeah, they would think one thing of me. And, uh, yeah, if they met me, you know, like they might not, they might not know who I really am or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, it looks like you brought, um, you brought a few found items oh, yeah. to share with us on the show today. Yeah, I just grabbed a few favorites. I, I have this kind of like little green tote bag where I carry some of my, it's a book of the month okay. club bag. <laughs> um, and I, I just grabbed a few, did a few of my favorites that were kind of on the top of the pile. But, uh, let's see, this one I thought it would be a fun one to share because, actually, let me save that one. <laughs> All right. Uh, here, here's a few all-time favorites. This one came from uh, North Carolina. Okay. And it says, Dear Ron, this, you know, a woman just found this on, on the street in front of her house. It's kind of soggy. It had rained. And, but it says, Dear Ron, the longer I think about what I'm doing, the sicker I feel. Ron, I'm sorry, but I don't think we should continue to have a relationship together, at least not as a couple. I love you, but things have not been the same since we found out that we were related. <laughs> oh, man. I hate, hate when that happens. It goes on, if you no longer want to speak to me because of this, I will understand. I'll still come visit you on Sundays if you like. I just don't know what to say to you. Love always, Alicia. And my friend Adrian, she, you know, my friends helped me open up all this found mail. And Adrian, I remember she like burst into laughter, yeah. passed it to me, and I started laughing. But later we were talking about it and just thinking, it's so hard to find true love in this world, you know? It's so hard to find that one special someone like, how bad would that suck? You know, you yeah. finally find him and it's your cousin or your sister. Yeah, wow. Um, here's one. Let's see here. Oh, here's another one. This one was found outside of Chicago. And uh, it says, Amos, last night was terrible. I'm so mad at you. I thought we agreed about that thing you do, you know. It's not kinky. It's gross. <laughs> you need to get over this phase of yours. If you don't, well, then you can just sleep alone. Sorry I couldn't say this to your face. But I can't bear to look at you right now. I have to go. I have calculus next period. Don't call me. I don't want to talk to you or see you later. You better get over this. It's really damaging our sex life. Love, Mary. But love is all crossed out. <laughs> and, you know, like we're always looking for new slogans to be like the, the found magazine motto. Yeah. And I like to borrow phrases from within some of the found notes themselves. Like someone gave me this flyer. It was one kid looking for other kids to be in his death metal band. So there was an upside down cross. And uh, it said at the top, Help us bring the darkness. And then it said, needed drummer, bassist, guitarist, and lead singer. So I'm wondering, you know, like, what's that kid going to do? But I thought that'd make a good Found Magazine motto. Found Magazine, help us bring the darkness. Yeah, that's great. Now we have a new one. Found Magazine, it's not kinky, it's gross. (laughs) I like that. I like that a lot. Well, uh, we're going to take another short break. Uh, You're listening to The Living Writers Show on WCBN-FM Ann Arbor. We'll be right back.
and you're listening to The Living Writers Show on WCBN FM Ann Arbor. I'm here with Davey Rothbart, founder of, creator of Found Magazine, excuse me, and um, we've been looking over some found items that he brought into the studio today. And, and yo, know, and that song that you just heard? Yeah. Train Riding, my, one of my favorite Poem Adept songs. And the Poem Adept, of course, that's my little brother, Peter. And uh, yeah, what's up, Pete? <laughs> I'm sure he'll be listening in. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, so yeah, so I, I brought a few other found things that people had had passed around. This is, I think, here's an example of one that's some of the ones I like to read are kind of more funny and mm-hmm. just make me laugh instantly. Mm-hmm. This is one that always kind of affects me in a different kind of way, and it was found in Erie, Pennsylvania, and I guess it's a kid writing to his dad. So it starts out, it just says, "Hi, Dad, what's up? Not much here, just working to save money." I'm working at Old Country Buffet, starting at six fifty an hour, cooking. Dad, are there any cooking jobs down there? Let me know when you write me back. I gave Robert your letter, okay? Without Mom knowing, okay? I can't wait to come down there. Erie sucks bad. There ain't nothing to do. Too cold. The weather sucks, too. Dad, I drink, too. Beer. Budweiser. But I don't drink a lot. And I do a little drugs, too. I smoke joints, and I got a bowl. It's cool. I'll let you see it, okay? I talked to Grandma Chapman. She said she was going to send you a letter and some money. Dad, I don't know if Robert or Jill is coming down there, but I'll talk to them and see. If not, it will be just me only. Dad, 
You're going to rent a mobile home. That's cheap. 100 a week. That's cheap. Dad, try and see if there's any apartments for rent and let me know how much, okay? Dad, I'm going to take a Greyhound because it's cheap, only $49. But I'll call you ahead of time. Dad, all the money I'm saving from working at my job and my income tax check, I should have a lot, okay? With the money, we should be able to get a place for us, okay? Dad, I can't wait to come down there pretty soon. Turn over. Dad, I'm a cook, and I can cook us some meals. Shut up. <laughs> cook some meals up for us. Get a grill and cook on that. Also, I got a lot of CDs like ACDC, Led Zeppelin, Metallica, Pink Floyd, The Doors, Jimi Hendrix, Judas Priest, Black Sabbath, and all that. We can jam out and have lots of fun. Important. Dad, I'm going to send you some stamps so you can write me back. And I'm going to give you a calling card so you can call me. Dad, when you get your place, give me your address and let me know where you're at. I miss you and I can't wait to see you. We will have lots of fun. Keep in touch so I know what's going on, okay? Dad, I'm still coming down there. I can't wait. So let me know what's going on, okay? I love you, Dad. Take care and take it easy, okay? Right back soon. Wow. Yeah, that starts out, it starts out pretty funny, but toward the end it gets pretty sad. Yeah, it's so, to me it's like an example of the kinds of one, the guy that found it, uh, the woman that found it, she said that she just saw it blowing down the street and picked it up and right after she grabbed it, it started to totally rain like a huge storm. So she hadn't grabbed it right then. You know, she really kind of rescued this note and this person for us, you know, from oblivion. Mm -hmm. And, you know, of course, it's to me, it's so moving because, you know, he's like, important dad, I'm going to send you some stamps so you can write me. Yeah. And you know, like, if this kid's dad, like, no, if he's not writing back to him, it's not because he couldn't find a stamp, you know, there's something else going on. So just the number of times he says dad in the letter. Yeah. Yeah. It's really, it's really moving and affecting. Mm-hmm. So this is, this is the kind of reason why every time I walk down the street, I pick up a piece of paper I see laying there just to see, you know, my, my brother, Peter, he, he, he's a great finder, mm-hmm. an all-star. And, uh, but he, he says that like one in five is a gem of a find, huh. you know, so like, you know, some of them are not that interesting at all, but one in five is going to be great. And so it's worth picking everything up and just see what you get. Yeah. Yeah. It's sort of walking a fine line, um, between people's public and private lives i don't know is that something that's troubling to you um you know we're really careful to change all the names in the notes like for example in that one um you know i went through it and just changed all the all the notes in found magazine and in the found books uh sarah helps me um change all the all the names just because we want to keep them private you know i mean like yeah yeah, you're catching people in these very personal moments and and they are deeply personal some of the notes but by making them anonymous, you know, the last thing I'd want is for someone to be embarrassed or end up in a bad situation, you know, because of one of these notes. So, I mean, some people still just, they have what I, what I consider a reasonable, like, ethical problem with it. You know, they just say, it's somebody else's note, like, you should not be reading it no matter what. Yeah. I feel like if there's something we can learn about the people we share the world with and ourselves, you know, by reading these notes, then I think it's, you know, it's 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 natural to be curious about other people's lives and have you ever had a situation where you've been contacted by someone who claimed something that you published in your magazine it's actually it's funny it's happened a few times and i never expected that to happen when we started doing found magazine just because you know we were going to make 50 copies like at kinko's like i I just didn't think that many people would see it but now that it's grown and like a lot of people see the foundmagazine.com website and so we we've had a few times where people have gotten in touch and said like hey that's mine and I didn't know if they would be freaked out or pissed off or what, but I've been glad the few times it's happened, people were really cool about it. Oh, good. Either a bit honored or more often just totally mystified. Like, first of all, how did you get that? And then, like, 
you know, why would anyone even be interested in the little details of my love life? And yeah. I explained to them, you know, why it means so much to me that I can relate to it. I've probably written the same pitiful love note like a hundred times myself. Um, it was funny, this girl just got in touch and she recognized a note of hers from Found Magazine number one. And it was a note about to her friend about these two guys she was dating and she was trying to figure out what to do. Well, we she ended up, we emailed back and forth. She ended up giving me a whole update. She was like, well, now I'm back with Chad, but Kevin's coming up this weekend, so I still don't know what's going to happen. <laughs> so on the on the Found Magazine website, there's a little section called Hey, That's Me, and uh, and where we have updates from some of the different people who have recognized their stuff. That's great. That's great. You can sort yeah. of follow a path along. Let me just share this last one with you, This because okay. this was found, we're down here at WCBN, and this was found about 50 feet from where we are now, just out on the street right there during art fair oh, really? last summer. My friend Dylan Straczynski found this. And uh, it's also a kid writing to his dad. It just says, Dad, come get me at the coffee shop when you're done taking a crap. <laughs> <laughs> From Hill. <laughs> From Hill. <laughs> That's great. So, I like that one. That's great. So um, you do a lot with Found. Um, you write a lot of fiction on your own time, but you're also pretty heavily involved in radio. Is that right? Yeah. You've done um, some segments on This American Life for mm-hmm. NPR. Yeah, I love working with them. Uh, I was always a big fan of the show, and um, I started... I started working with them a few years ago so you know the first story i did was when i went to interview mr rogers yeah i read I, about that yeah first I, I interviewed all my neighbors in chicago about the conflicts they were having with each other then i went and i played the tapes for mr rogers and let him like mediate their disputes yeah and it was amazing because he had all the puppets out from the land of make-believe like king friday lady fairchild they were all putting in their own two cents yeah and he was an incredible guy so yeah that it was funny when i was reading about it because um it sounded like you were simultaneously very fascinated and very frightened of the puppets. Well, it was it was odd to have like a seventy or eighty year old guy, you know, like just seamlessly just like going between his voice and the voices of these puppets. Like it it was pretty freaky, yeah. But I it bet. was also pretty awesome. Yeah, you, know? you were asked by the New York Times um, after he passed away to eulogize him. Um, what was that experience like for oh. you, writing a eulogy for someone? I mean, it was. It was a huge honor and one that I was like a little overwhelmed by just because, I mean, Mr. Rogers, you know, he like, and people that don't know that much about, you know, he's easy to make fun of, but, but he did so much good in his life. Like that dude was sweet, man. He like, uh, he really cared deeply about kids and their welfare. You know, his show, he tackled like difficult issues, you know, like divorce and all kinds of crazy stuff, you know, that, that it's surprising if you look back at some of his shows that he, that he would even bring, talk about, you know, real world problems. And, uh, and so, I mean, he, he was like a great, great guy and, and, you know, had an amazing life. So for me to like, I had like six hours, I think, you know, like they called me at like 10 in the morning and they were like, yeah, uh, we need you to like write 750 words, like summing up Mr. Rogers' life and you have four hours. Wow. That's a lot of pressure. Yeah. But I, so I just, you know, I tried to like tell the story. I tried to tell him, tell about him as like, um, just as a regular guy, you know, and you know about my experience of hanging out with him and and all the wisdom and insight that that he had when, when we for me, you know, when we met, and and also just that he was like, even despite that, he was still just like kind of like a, a regular guy. At the, at the at the end of the article, I, I talked about how I'd, I'd visited him at the studio where he made Mr. Rogers, where he made his show, and. He gave me and my friend Alex a ride back to the hotel where we were staying at, and we were waiting to pull out of the parking lot. We had to like turn left out of the parking lot. And we were, it's like 5 p.m. in Pittsburgh. Like no one's letting us in. And I was like, 
don't dude i was like don't you ever just get like he was so serene about it just waiting there so such tranquility and i was like mr rogers like don't you ever get pissed off about anything and he was like of course i do don't you i was like yeah yeah <laughs> so i don't know he was just funny so yeah that seems like something that he would say yeah yeah definitely seems like it you also did a segment on this american life Am I right about your mother channeling spirits? Yeah. yeah is uh, that correct? It's true, yeah. Um, my mom, um, she, she, her name is Barbara, and she channels this ancient spirit named Erin. Okay. She does this work in Ann Arbor um, through Deep Spring Center, and she, uh, she, you know, she's helped a lot of people with it, but it's kind of weird growing up with this, with my, you know, in a house where you've got your mom, your dad, and then you have this crazy 2,000-year-old ghost that your mom channels. <laughs> That's Aaron. fascinating. And so he was, he was, but but it was really interesting just to talk to everyone in my family about their feelings about that and, you know, kind of ex- investigate, you know, is Aaron real, all that stuff. And I think you can go to the This American Life website and here's, you know, if you go to This American Life site and just uh, put in my name or something, you mm-hmm. can hear some of those old episodes. Yeah, some of them are pretty funny. Great, great. Well, thank you so much for joining us on the show today. It's been it's been really interesting talking to you. Definitely. Um, join us next week on the Living Writers Show. I'll be here with Christopher Merrill. He's the director of the University of Iowa's International Writing Program, and we'll be discussing his latest nonfiction work titled Things of the Hidden God, Journey to the Holy Mountain. Thanks again to our guest, Davey Rothbart, and to our engineer, Chaz Barrett. Um, Stay tuned to WCBN-FM Ann Arbor 